freedom. And, and I want to talk specifically about, about finding freedom from shame. That's the title I've been given. We're going to be working from something called the Grace Course. You may have heard of it. You may even have, have been through it. And it is a, is a brilliant course. But over the next four weeks, we're going to be taking a lot of our material, a lot of our teaching from directly from that course um, and delivering it to you because we think actually we should all do it. Um, we, sh- we should all go through the grace course. We should all discover what grace is. Um, so you may have heard a lot of what I'm going to say before if you've gone through the grace course, but it is really, really good stuff. And, and if you want to, go away and research it yourself because it's brilliant. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn to Romans, uh, Romans chapter 7? Uh, it's a really happy passage. I'll, um, I'll just warn you. It's full of joy. Um, and this is, this is Paul, um, he just, just before he launches into Romans 8, which is the, the chapter we all love, um, before he gets there, he has to give us Romans 7. And Romans 7 from verse 14 says this, The trouble is not with the law. The law is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. Because I'm all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Told you it was happy. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is, that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Um, I want to ask you this morning, um, what are you loyal to? I want to use the word loyalty and I want to play with the word a little bit. Um, What are you loyal to? Um, Because we're all loyal to something. Um, You might be loyal to a, a certain brand of car. You might have always bought a certain type of car. You may, you may be loyal to a certain make of phone. That you've, you've always bought that phone. You know, you, you bought that phone once and you've stuck with it and you've just, when they've upgraded the phone, you've just got the new one because you've stuck with that brand. You might be loyal to your job. You've been there all your working life and you can't see yourself working anywhere else. Um, you might be loyal to the shop you go to. We were a Tesco family. Any Tesco families? Yes. And we were a test, and that's, that's the only shop we ever went to was Tesco. Um, so if we, needed, if we needed shopping, it was always Tesco. And when I went to uni, the local supermarket was an Asda. And you know, I felt a bit dirty. <laughs> that's not knocking Asda, and I'll be really careful in case someone sues me on the podcast, but, but that thing of, you know, I'm a Tesco boy. And, and I've, I've gone over to the, to the other side. Um, my family was always Lloyds Bank. Always Lloyds Bank. And, and Nat West came in to, um, to school, and they do this kind of enticement program where they offer you the world to set up a young person's account. And, and I signed up for my young person's account, and my nan almost disowned me. She literally almost forced me to shut it down. 
because we were a Lloyd's family. We bank with Lloyd's. Um, you might be loyal to a political party. That could be red, it could be blue, it could be left, it could be right, but, but you give a loyalty to that party. Um, or it might be more subtle, you know, your newspaper. You might have read the same newspaper for 40 years, every morning, and you're loyal to it. Um, you might have a hairdresser that you keep going back to, that you've used for ages. Um, your gym, your tea bags. Are you Tetley's or are you PG or are you Aldi? You know, you, you, you have something you keep going back to. And, you know, your shower gel, that, that brand you always use, whether it's razor blades or baked beans, we all have those things that we stick to. Am I speaking any truth here? Yeah? Um, that we stick to. And, and unless it's half past ten on a Saturday night and they just haven't got any anywhere, we always go for the one we know and the one that we've always gone for. And loyalty is basically when we make a decision to partner with something or someone. Now, that could be subconscious or it could be conscious. It could be a decision that we, that we make to stick with that we know when we have a choice, we're always going to go to that. That sometimes we don't even think about it. It's just natural. We reach for that brand because it's what we know. It's what we've always done. It's what we are loyal to. As you know, sometimes we're loyal to things when we don't want to be. Have you ever tried switching energy suppliers? How much hassle it is to try and switch your energy supplier or your, your car insurance or you know, cancelling that direct debit you set up for Save the Donkeys. And you know this money's just going out of your account, but, but you, you just feel trapped when you try and do something about it. You, you, know, you, you open a gym membership in January. And you get, to, you get to November and you've only been twice. So you ring up and you think, well, you know, I'm going to cancel my direct debit. I'm not having this anymore. I'm not having this money going in my account. And, and you ring up and there's that excruciating moment where you say, hello, I'd, li I'd like to cancel my membership, please. I want to cancel my direct debit. And they say, right, I'll just put you through to Gertrude in revenue protection. And all the hope drains out of your body because Gertrude is a sales ninja. And she's awful, and, and you feel guilty, and oh, you, those poor, poor donkeys, do you not have any heart? How can you do this to these poor donkeys? And what you do is you forget how to talk, and you put the phone down, and you've not cancelled your direct debit, you've increased it. Is anyone with me? And those donkeys have got more money than you know what to do with. But, you know, there are things that we partner with, and some of these things are great, and they're fine, and they're healthy and good. But, but how many of us know there are things we partner with that are not good for us, that are not meant to bring us good? And, and sometimes there are, there are actions or, or thought patterns or behaviors that sometimes, even without thinking, we go back to them. Even without thinking, we find ourselves doing the things we used to. We, we revert to them when we're, when we're stressed or when we're tired or maybe just when we're a bit bored. We find ourselves going back to things that we used to do. And, and I would argue that when we talk about habits and addictions, I would argue that, that that's just a loyalty to a behavior. That we just keep coming back to it. We can't break free from what that's got over us. And, and addiction is, is anything that I don't want in my life. But it's anything I don't want in my life that I can't get free of, that I can't break, that, that if it wasn't so prominent in my life, my life would be better. And, and it's a loyalty that no matter how hard I try, I, I just can't break it. And we can be addicted to all sorts of things. You, you can be addicted to your phone. 
I look at a lot of the, the students I teach, and they, they are totally addicted to their phones. It's incredible. And I love um, Apple now have done this thing, you know, where you get screen time. I don't know if any other companies do it. And I get a little thing every day that says, you spent two hours on your phone this week. It's brilliant, because it's a real kind of reminder to me of how much am I looking at stuff. And it's all good stuff, you know, don't get me wrong. But when I think, wow, I've wasted two hours just looking at my phone. Now, my problem is, I do the washing up in our house, and I'm a secret wrestling fan. So whenever I'm doing the washing up, I'm watching the wrestling on my phone, uh, which makes my screen time go... So it looks like I'm this, you know, horrible person on my phone all the time, but I'm just doing the washing up. I'm being a good guy. Um, but you could be addicted to food. I can't go to Tesco's without buying a sausage roll. <laughs> can't do it. It's not worth it. You know, if I go to Tesco's and I don't buy a sausage roll, I feel like I failed in life. Um, you might be addicted to sports. You know, everything you do revolves around sports, the next sports fixture. You might be addicted to your work. You might be addicted to shopping. Now, none of these are bad things. But, but they, they can become a loyalty and a habit that, that has more control over us than it should have. And, and there are others like, you, you know, you go further down the line, you talk about anger or you talk about lying or you talk about, um, you know, addictions or, or, or sexual addictions or, or habits. And we find ourselves living in disgrace. Because when it gets too far and we can't handle it, we find ourselves living in disgrace. A loyalty that when we try to, to, to face it, when we try to, to stop it, we actually find that we're, we're trapped by it. A disgrace, when you break that word up, this means separate. This means removed, and grace is the favor of God. So when you live in disgrace, you are living removed from the favor of God. But you're not, because that's just how you feel. And that's really important we make that distinction that when we feel we're in disgrace, we feel removed from the favor of God, we need to know we never are. And we feel shame. And you know, shame's been around from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were created. The, the text in Genesis says that the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were both naked wandering around the Garden of Eden and they felt no shame. But then they sinned and when they took the fruit and they started eating, it suddenly said their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt Shame. So what they did, like we all do when we feel shame, is, is they, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. And when we feel shame, we cover ourselves up. The old English definition of shame was to cover up. And, you know, shame is worse than guilt. To be guilty is, is just, you know, to accept you made a mistake and you feel bad for it. But to feel shame is to declare over yourself that it's not you made a mistake, that you are the mistake. That there is something inherently wrong with you. Shame isn't about the bad things you have done. Shame is all about what a bad person you are. And, and shame and disgrace, they scream at us that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy, we're not good enough to be loved by others, and we're certainly not good enough to be loved by God. When you read the parable of the prodigal son, the son is in the, in the, the pig pen, and, and he says, I'll go to my father and I'll say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. You know, the son was ready to exchange what he had. He was ready to exchange an inheritance and identity for, for, for that of a slave because of the shame he felt. 
He was willing to trade in his, his life as a loved son for a position where he would only be accepted based on his performance. And I know there's times in my lives where I've, I've almost traded in that identity as a, as a loved son of God for something where I know I'll only be accepted if I do well. I'll only be accepted if I do the right thing. And, and sometimes you, you can get to a point in life where you, you, you've done something and you can make shame such a part of your life that it, that it actually becomes part of you. And you, you could have done something years ago in, in your life and, and you've, you've you repented of it and you, and you felt forgiven and you've tried to walk free. But then years and years and years and years later, when you think you moved on, you wake up in the middle of the night and that thing is still there. And it screams at you in the middle of the night because it's got such a grip on you. And instead of dealing with it, it, it persuades us to cover up and hide. It persuades us to uh, do, use all sorts of methods to, to cover ourselves up. We start lying about ourselves. We start lying about our past. Um, or, or we just you know, lie about our present and say, no, no everything's fine. It's all good. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, or we'll, we'll blame shift. You know, we make other people the problem instead of, instead of the problem being with us. Um, or we'll, we'll try and overcompensate and we'll, we'll, we'll work hard to, to excel in one area of our lives to hide the fact that we feel another one is, is insufficient. Um, and how many times, I want to say this carefully, but how many times have we seen unknown preachers who have preached hard about some really tough stuff and then they found out to be committing the very same thing? It's a covering up mechanism. Um, you know, others will criticize everyone's, everyone around them. They'll criticize everyone around them to make themselves feel better. Or, they, or they'll self-medicate. Or they'll, they'll strive to look perfect. And, and these are all fig leaves. These are all ways of covering up what's going on. And they all fail eventually. Because shame tells us that underneath the, the facade and underneath the show, we are what is wrong. We are the problem. And, and the, the grace course calls this the, the less mess. Where instead of being free from the shame, we allow it to rule over us. And, and it dictates our thoughts. And, and every time someone tries to speak words into our life, we just reject them. And, and we stay loyal to the shame. And we start to believe that we are less than others. We, we start to feel helpless, worthless, useless, meaningless, hopeless, powerless. And our identity becomes wrapped up in shame. You know, Paul said, what a wretched man I am. Can anyone do anything for me? And, and, and the shame and disgrace, if we're not careful, it doesn't just control us. It becomes part of us. And it becomes who we are. And then we just give up. And we say, you know, this is just who I am. This is just me. You know, I don't mind admitting that for years that was me. You know, people could say the nicest, most affirming, loving, generous, life-giving things to me, and, and I would reject it every time. Every time. Because in my mind, what they were saying wasn't me. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't as good as they were making out me to be. I wasn't good enough. I, I knew what I was, and, and no word was going to change it. But I, I need people to know this morning in the sight of God, you're not what you've done. You are not what you have done. You are not who you or anyone else says you are. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. And, and you are what God says you can become. 
Romans 8, God sees potential in you. He says that God causes all things, all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There's a destiny. There's a purpose. There's a potential that God has a purpose for your life. And it starts with him telling you that you're not finished yet. You know, as long as we serve a God who can raise the dead, it's not over. As long as we serve a God that can, that can walk into a gravesite and say, Lazarus, wake up. We're not done. And we need to know that this morning, Paul says there is no condemnation, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. See, God's answer to disgrace is grace. God's answer to shame is salvation. And when Jesus was crucified, even though Jesus had never sinned, it says that God allowed him to be sin. God allowed Jesus to be sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. We wouldn't just gain the righteousness of God. We wouldn't just kind of earn it. We would become the righteousness of God. And you can look at and whatever translation you look at, it always says the same thing, that we become the righteousness of God. It's not something that's given to us. It's not something we earn. It's not something we have to buy. We become the righteousness of God. We are transformed. 2 Corinthians 5 uh, says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I don't know if you grew up in a church like mine with, you know, the old mission praise song, I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. A joy that knows no limit. A lightness in my spirit. Here in the grace of God I stand. And I will. You got the pause in as well. That's brilliant. That is good memory. They're incredible words. I am a new creation. That when Jesus died, he didn't allow us to just access the righteousness of God. He made a way so we would become the righteousness of God. He took our sin and our shame and he placed it on Jesus and he destroyed it so that he could replace it with life and love and peace and light and everything that God is. I don't know how many of you are football fans, but it's coming to the end of, of what we call the mid-season transfer window. And, and it's never really that exciting, especially when you're a Tottenham fan because we don't spend any money. Um, but, but the idea is it's an opportunity for, for managers and football clubs to look at how they're doing halfway through the year and think, okay, do we need to make some changes? Do we need to bring someone new in? Do we need to let some players go? And it's an opportunity for players to, to move clubs, to, to go and, and play for a new club. And it's usually for a fee or some sort of payback. And, and it's a moment where players switch their loyalty. They change their loyalty from one club, from one badge, from one label to a new one. And I, I think today there, there's a, an opportunity to, to switch loyalty because Paul says when Jesus died, God not only rescued us from the darkness, but he transferred us from the kingdom of his son who purchased our freedom. Now, I want to tell you this morning, I think it's transfer season. I think in this church, it's transfer season. The, the transfer fee has been paid and, and the window is open. And we might have been loyal to our feelings of, of shame and regret and remorse because it feels safer to cover up. But God is saying, actually, I've got a new badge for you. I've got a new label for you. And we don't have to run. We don't have to hide. No matter what is in our past, we can come into the presence of God because we've been cleansed. Paul says we've been made holy. 
And I want to ask this morning, are you going to believe what your past tells you you are? Are you going to walk out of here this morning believing that you are what your past has told you you are? Are you, are you going to believe what God says you are? Because God gives you a new name. And for some of us, we have to expose the lies that we've lived with. We have to expose the lies that we've believed about ourselves and replace it with God's truth. To wear a new badge. To take on a new label. Isaiah 62, I love this. It says, you shall be called a new name. That the mouth of the Lord will give you. This is a name straight from God. It's not a name from the people. It's not a name from a king. It's a name straight from God. You shall be a crown of beauty. You shall no more be called forsaken, and your land shall no more be called desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you. And there's an incredible layering of meaning in here, because even though Isaiah, he's, he's, he's prophesying over a city, he's prophesying over the city of Jerusalem, there's something personal in there. He's talking to a people who feel like they've been forgotten. He's talking to a people who feel like they are barren, like they are empty, like they are worthless, they are useless, but God renames them. He renames them from forgotten to the delight of God. They're, they're, they've gone from alone to married. They've gone from rejected to befriended. They've gone from rejected to accepted. They've gone from shame to victory. They've gone from death to life. They've gone from outcast to son. They've gone from unloved to loved. Isn't it amazing we get a new name? I just want to go through um, these are the names that God gives us. And one of these, I know that there'll be people in here and there'll be different names that resonate with us. These, these are all in the Bible and I can give you the verses later. God calls you. You are beloved. You are beautiful. You are chosen. You're precious. You're safe. You're loved. You're clean. You're presentable. You're protected. You're welcomed. You're an heir. You're complete. You're holy, you're forgiven, you're adopted, you're God's delight, you're unashamed, you are known, you are planned, you are gifted, you're provided for. Some of us live in that, that shame of thinking, God, when are you going to arrive? When are you going to turn up? God says, you are provided for. You're treasured, you're pure, you are God's work of art. Other translations say, you are God's masterpiece. You are free from condemnation. You are God's child, you are Christ's friend, and you are Christ's precious bride. And we want you this morning to grab hold of that new name. To grab hold of that new name, and we want you to run with it and live with freedom. That, that All the freedom that your new name allows you to. You are who God says you are. But there's a catch. See, when our name changes, our loyalty has to change too. Because when a football player changes clubs, when he changes badge, he can't be loyal to his old club anymore. He can't play for the old team. He can't help them out. He, he, he can't just go back to his old club if he doesn't like it. You see, part of living a shame-free life that, that Jesus gives us is we have to live shame-free. We can't keep going back to the same habits and routines that brought us the shame in the first place. Paul says, we know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul says later on, you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Switch your loyalty. Switch your allegiance. Because you were dead, but now you have new life. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And there's a daily decision that we all have to make. James says, resist the devil and he will flee. You know, just just sinning and and confessing and sinning and confessing and sinning and confessing. That's not enough. We've got to keep asking God for the strength to, to resist whatever temptation the devil might put in front of us. But most of all, it's about letting go of our past. And this morning, I've talked about loyalty, and, I, and I've tried to link it with this, this feeling of shame or disgrace that some of us might feel. But, but the crux is, if we want to live free, we've got to live free. Jesus said that, that anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then turns back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying here is you can't have these good intentions where you're going you're gonna to try and go a bit, but you're going to keep turning back to how it was, looking back to how it was, because if you keep turning back to, to, to what you were loyal to before, you'll never be free. You'll never move forward. You'll never get to where you're going. Has anyone ever heard of the monkey trap? No, good. Right. Um, in certain parts of the world, there's, there's, a, there's a device called the monkey trap. And, and it's usually, a, 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 an indigenous people will use it to trap monkeys. And, and it's usually a coconut or something quite big um, with a hole. And the coconut's been hollowed out and there's a hole just big enough for a monkey to put his hand into. And inside the, the, the coconut, they'll put some rice or some sort of treat inside it. And what happens when... When the monkey's hand fits through and his hand is empty, he can, he can put his hand through. But when he grabs whatever it is and clenches his fist, he can't get his fist back out. And I want you to catch that because I think this is really important. That, they, that, that monkey's got a choice. He can let go of what is trapping him and be free. Or he can hold on to it and stay trapped. And for some of us, there's a letting go moment that has to happen. We say, okay, God, I've, I've held on to this. I've been too loyal to this for so long that I'm going to let go. And I'm going to be free. We only experience freedom by letting go. I'm going to invite the band back up. and I want to finish by looking at John chapter 11. It's one of my favorite Jesus narratives, and, and it's where Jesus, he hears that his friend Lazarus has died. And there's a really convoluted story or, or narrative where, where, where Jesus takes ages to get there, absolutely ages. And, and the text says that, he's, that Lazarus has been dead for at least four days. And there's two things that I want to pick out here that just me amaze, amazes me every time. 
It says in uh, John 11, verse 40, uh, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear, hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of the people here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And the first thing I want you to realize is when Jesus approaches the tomb, what he does is he calls Lazarus out by name. He calls him out as he named him, Lazarus. And it's interesting that the text in every translation calls him the dead man. The writer of of John says he's the dead man. But Jesus calls him out by name. You are not what the world has called you. You've got a name. And Jesus calls Lazarus out by name. And Lazarus walks out. And this is what Jesus says. Unwrap him and let him go. See, Jesus was, Lazarus was wrapped in his grave clothes, bound, his, his face was covered up, and, and he was bound up by what the world had called him. He was bound by death. And Jesus calls him out by name. And even though he's been brought from, from death to life, even though he's not dead anymore, even though he's alive, he's still wearing the clothes of death. He's still wearing what labels him as a dead man. And Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go. And I believe there are people here today that need to hear those words. You've been raised from death to life. You've been a follower of Jesus for years and years and years, but you're still walking around in your grave clothes. You are still walking around in the thing that labels you as what you were. And I think God wants to give you a garment of praise. Instead of a spirit of despair. And he says to you this morning that you're alive, but you need unwrapping. You need to be set free. Take your grave clothes off and leave them on the floor. I believe that that act of unwrapping is is the removal of your past. as, As you unwrap those grave clothes, you are removing the past. But the letting go is where you reestablish your future. Removing the grave clothes is, is where you, 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 you remove your past, but when you let go, you're reestablishing your future. You're reestablishing what God's got for you. That as you walk from death to life, you walk from bondage to freedom. You walk from disgrace to grace. You walk from death to life. You walk from shame to celebration. You walk from captivity to freedom. You walk out knowing who you are. You are no longer a slave to fear. Because you're a child of God. You're free to live unashamed. You are free to live unashamed. And I want us to stand and we're going to put a a prayer on the screens. And and I want us to do this together as, as one voice, as one church, as one body. If you're able, would you stand with me? Because actually the truth is we all carry stuff we're not proud of. Every one of us carries something that that holds on to us or that we have stuck loyal to. And for some of us, that that might run deeper than others. And we will pray for you, and that's fine. Come and speak to us. We will happily talk you through that and pray with you. But I want us to do this together because I want us all to say this as an act of faith. 
I want us all to say this as, as a declaration of freedom. I want us to say this as, as an act of submission. So I declare that I am a new creation in Christ. I am dead to sin and alive to God. I confess my sins and turn away from them. I declare that my former sins do not rule me any longer and I renounce their control of me. Jesus, who lives in me, is my loving master and ruler and all that I am belongs to him. There should be another bit. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made me a holy saint so I can glorify you in my body. I refuse to offer my body or my mind to be used to commit any sinful act. Instead, I submit all that I am to my heavenly Father who raised me to life with Christ. I now offer my whole mind and body to God. I choose to use my mind and body only for good, completely relying on the power of the Holy Spirit within me. I submit myself completely to God and resist the devil who must flee from me now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.